just nodded to me and say, well, it's time. Uh, I don't know what he's thinking because when he, when I came in, I saw him. I said, Pastor, I need a Bible. It's kind of strange when the guest preacher says to the pastor, uh, do you have a Bible? Uh, truth of the matter is that my wife and I are in transition. Uh, and things are everywhere. And I usually have my iPad with me. And uh, it wasn't in the right place. Maybe in the stories for the movers coming. We're moving from Denver, Colorado to Florida. Uh, I have spent my last winter in the snow. <laughs> uh, as some of you know, I, I spent 19 years here in Chicago. And uh, that's the dynamic. Today we're going to talk about breaking down walls. See, I didn't talk that loud when we did the sound check. I forgot to tell them I get excited sometimes. We're going to talk about breaking down walls. And uh, I need you to help me. Will, will you say no guilt? Just understanding. One more time. Say no guilt. Just understanding. Just remember now, you said it. Uh, as we talk about uh, sense of issue of race, Jew and Gentile, black, white, brown, red, and yellow, it can be sensitive, but I, I want to be honest, want to be forthright, and I believe God will speak uh, through the message today. At least I pray that He will. Father, Allow me to decrease in the humanness of who I am so that you might increase in the power of your spirit. Speak to these thy people in me and through me. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You are my strength, my redeemer. Amen and amen. I made an amazing discovery. I did discover that when folks of the light of hue, now you know who that is? That's white folks. I'm, I'm, I'm darker hue. You might have guessed that. But I learned something about folks of the light of hue in my study. I learned that when you were born that you were pink. As you grew up, you became white. When you go into the hot sunshine, you turn red. And in February here in Chicago, you look at each other and say, you look blue. And I'm told that when you die, that you'll be purple. And that's okay. But I do have a question to ask. Why on earth do you call me colored? <laughs> See, the dynamic is we are different. But oftentimes when you're different or when there is difference in people, it can cause walls to build up. We can become divided. We can become separate. Uh, fear can come in. It's evident this division that exists is evident in politics. It's evident in our communities. It's evident in sports, TV, and the movies. 
issue is when things are different, it can cause suspicion and fear. The question is, how do you avoid building walls? And, and what does it take to break down walls? When I think of walls, I'm reminded of my daughter, Rachel. You know, she ministers with me a lot. I remember when she was five years old, uh, I was getting ready for work and uh, had on the T-shirt and my pants, and she was getting ready for school, and she came down to the room, and she said, Daddy, I said, yes, Rachel, says, uh, are you a strong man? I said, Rachel, dad is very strong. She said, I said, oh, dad is very strong. She says, oh, dad, I said, come here, Rachel. She came here. I said, feel it. I said, real steel. She said, daddy, you are strong. I said, Dad is very strong. I said, Daddy, you are the strongest man in the world. Yes, Rachel, your daddy is the strongest man in the world. I said, Daddy, can you knock down doors? I said, Rachel, Daddy can knock down doors. Can you knock down big doors? Yes, because I'm the strongest man in the world. She believed that. She went off to kindergarten, and I went to work. Two years later, two years, two hours later, Two, two and a half hours later. My wife calls me on the phone and she says, Mr. Strongman, uh, the school called and uh, you must go and pick Rachel up. I said, why? Said, she's been suspended. I said, how can she be suspended? She, she's in kindergarten. I said, well, uh, they had a time when they say it's time to, you know, lay down, take a nap, just rest. Rachel says, I don't want to lay down. I said, no, Rachel, everybody lay down, the teacher says. Rachel said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, I'm your teacher, Rachel. You must lay down. She says, I don't care who you are. You can't tell me to lay down because my daddy is the strongest man in the world. And he will knock you down like he can <laughs> knock doors down. So you can't tell me and I will not lay down. So Mr. Strongman had to go to school to pick up my five-year-old daughter who'd been suspended. I'm talking today about different kind of walls. A wall that can come up because of things that we might say and names that we might use to call people. Can you put that front page of the Sun-Times uh, on the line here? My wife was uh, looking, and uh, that's what it says. The N-word started it. Now, you probably are much more familiar with that, something that happened in November 2016 when two white off-duty policemen shot and killed a young 16-year-old black man. And here's the issue, it's still going on, and they're having courts, and they're really dealing with the dynamic. But in the investigations, according to this article, it said that when a funeral possession, possession was taking place involving black people, that a white man on a car yelled out of his window the N-word, and that's 
what got things started. You know, breaking down walls uh, requires relationship. The key to breaking down walls that will divide us and separate us is all wrapped up in one single important word, and that's relationship. Relationships between Jew and Gentile. The answer is in one word, relationship. You know, when I think about this N word, the question is, has that ever happened to me? Has anybody ever called that to me? Yes, it has happened uh, more than once. I'll tell you about one, one story. And uh, when Glenn K. Ryan, who's with the Lord now, he's my, my partner in ministry, and he's white, and we were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at the Hershey uh, um, Evangelical Free Church, and we were sharing about our ministry, holistic ministry. Uh, I'm black, Glenn's white, and we are ministering on the west side of Chicago. And uh, it was a holistic approach to ministry. And we just had a wonderful three days uh, there for that weekend during their missions time, uh, dealing with uh, that dynamic. And they said they were going to get a crew of people to come and help restore the, uh, the building that we were renovating for Rock Church and Circle Urban Ministry, downtown Chicago. Great time. So night was over. We headed back. We were in the airport in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and in walks Andre the Giant. Now, some of you know, he's nine feet tall. You know, I mean, he's a humongous individual. And so we were in the cafe there, and everybody in the cafe Look, was looking and staring at this big guy coming out with a couple of folks with him. And I was too. And right in the middle of all of that, one of the men with Andre the Giant looked right at me and said, what are you looking at, N-word? And he started walking toward me. And as he did that, when he got close, Glenn stepped in front of me and said, that's enough. And the guy turned around and he walked away. Well, as in that restaurant, as I looked around, I was probably the only person of color there. And so I'd been picked out by this individual, uh, although everyone else was looking at him. And uh, that yelling sort of touched my, my dignity. But when Glenn K. Ryan, my friend, my co-laborer in ministry, stepped in front of me. He did it in a way that protected my dignity. Uh, what was the key difference there? A relationship existed between a black man and a white man. The word of God gives you and I as Christians the formula for breaking down walls to establish genuine relationships across racial lines. Uh, the Word of God really speaks. Uh, let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read two verses, verses 14 and verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a nice big print Pastor Craig has here. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Two groups, key words there, he made the two, two groups. The Bible talks about people in categories, and there are two groups, Jew and Gentile. Everyone who is not Jewish is Gentile. There are several divisions within Gentiles, but two groups, Jew and Gentile. And he says that uh, he's made the two groups into one new man. How? At the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished. He paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he created redemption. In other words, all my sin, past, present, and future, the price has already been paid by Jesus Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, who said on the cross, it is finished. But not only did the cross destroy the enmity between God and man, it also destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, yea, even black, white, brown, red, and yellow. When he said it is finished, he destroyed the enmity that exists, enabling us to be one in Christ Jesus. Though I'm different than most everyone here, uh, we are brothers. We are uh, uh, one new man in Christ Jesus. So it's loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, loving our neighbors, myself, and the two greatest commandments really was demonstrated when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross at Calvary. Uh, you know, the spiritual work of destroying hostility between people who are different racially, that work is already completed. It happened at Calvary. The problem is that you and I now need to live out the truth of what has taken place, especially those of us who are believers and followers of Christ Jesus. Our job is living out, and that's where oftentimes we have fallen short. So the question is, how do we live it out, the work that has been done on the cross? How do we really live that out? I think uh, Scripture also speaks to that, the Word of God. In Philippians chap chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Two very key verses, verses 2 and verses 3. Verse 2 says... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourself. Consider others 
not as important, but consider others as more important than yourself. So the issue is, how do we live out the calling of oneness across racial lines in relating to one another who are racially different, we start off by understanding that the Bible asks us to consider others as more important than ourselves. So how do you do this? When I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Army, this is in 1960, uh, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Adjutant General's Corps, Personnel and Administration, very elite branch. There were 60 second lieutenants in that course. 59 of them were white and me. I looked like a fly in a bowl of milk. I remember that time very well. Uh, but I had three very good friends. Jim Singh sang from Minnesota, Bob Hawks from Boston, and Lou Tagula from Brooklyn, New York. We got to be good friends. So about halfway through the course, five or six weeks into it, Lou Tagula said, come on, guys, let's go out and have a meal together. It's uh, Friday evening. And I said, okay. So I hopped in his car, and uh, Fort Benjamin Harrison is located in Lawrence, Indiana, about 25, 30 miles from Indianapolis, Indiana. So we went into Lawrence, Indiana, small town, years 1960. And so we walked into this restaurant, white community, all white folks there. And we're sitting in the lobby, and people are coming in. They're waiting. All the people. I mean, we were there 10 or 15 minutes, and nobody had even acknowledged us. See, I know why. They were with me, or I was with them, and I wasn't supposed to be there. But... These guys didn't know it. Bob Hawks was from Boston. Jim St. Sachs was from Minnesota. And Lou was from Brooklyn, New York. He, it, was not, it was not that way. So finally, Lou Tagler went to the maitre d', started talking, flailing, hands, flailing his hands back and forth. And so he came back and said, come on, let's get out of here. I know why. We got to the car and said, hey, guys, take me back to the base. You guys go out and have a nice meal. I'll find me a rib joint. I'm, I'm okay with that. Lou Tagger said, Riley, shut up, sit in the car. We're going to eat together if we have to go to every restaurant between Lawrence and Indianapolis, Indiana. Went to the next restaurant. He went in, came out, mumbling to himself. Went to the third restaurant. Went in, came out, mumbling to himself. Went to the fourth restaurant. He said, come on, let's go in. This was a swanky restaurant, kind of like Ruth, Ruth Chris Steakhouse uh, near the hotel where I'm living. Well, it had red carpet on the floor, had red velvet chairs, it was red velvet around the menu, and I looked at those prices on the food. Man, I'm not, I wasn't used to that, so I was looking at my menu, looking for Leroy. That's fried chicken. I was kind of looking at the menu. And so then the waitress came up, and, and she said, Sarah, your meal's already been ordered. I said, oh, they brought me out for the first time in my life, Chateaubriand. I dined sufficiently, man. It was great. I had chocolate eclairs for dessert, and then all of a sudden I realized that was the most expensive meal on the menu. And so uh, I kind of beckoned the waitress to come, wanted to find out how to pay my bill. And I said, my, my bill? She said, sir, your meal's already been paid for. See, my white friend Lou Taglia 
would not eat unless we ate together. Lou Taggart had found the most exclusive restaurant in the entire area. Lou Taglia ordered for me the most expensive meal on the menu, and Lou Taglia paid the bill. You see, the dignity that I lost in those three restaurants was restored by Lou Taglia, who considered me more important than himself. That's exactly what the scripture is saying. That's what happens. That's how you establish relationships. And this was now. 50 years ago when it took place, and I remember it as though it was yesterday because Lou Taggart was a dear friend at that moment. Consider others as more important than yourself, and living that out is a very key to breaking down walls to establish the only thing that can really allow peace and joy to happen, and that's oneness and unity in the context of a genuine relationship that is across racial lines. How do you do this? Relationship requires sincere empathy. Sincere empathy. To break down walls and consider others as more important than yourself, this is the glue for relationship. Now, watch this. This glue for relationships I'm talking about, this sincere empathy that will help create, establish, and maintain relationship across racial lines is the very same glue that's necessary for marriage to be what God's intend. It's necessary for families uh, uh, to work through. It's necessary for even church relationships. What do I mean by that? In marriage, conflict comes every now and then, right? Um, uh, uh, in marriage, uh, they, they, sometimes husband and wives have difference of opinion, and they don't agree. Unless you have that sincere empathy, considering the other is more important, uh, it's not going to resolve. That's necessary to resolve conflicts and have marriage what is like should be family disputes now i know you have families and you never have disputes in families but in family i know we have disputes all the time differences to get that we have to consider others as more important to resolve it what about church relationships did i hear the pastor say there's going to be a budget meeting <laughs> uh, and all the how, how do you when you disagree with things work it out you need to have that empathy and understanding to really make those things take place, and it's critical. So the same thing that's necessary for marriage and family and for a church to operate is exactly the same thing that's necessary to establish a genuine relationship across racial lines. So how do you really uh, make this? What does that look like? My youngest daughter, Petra, uh, I can remember when she was five years old, Rachel was oh, 12 at that time, and I was living in Chicago, and uh, I, I had a garage door that was aluminum, it was sections, and uh, 
I didn't have one of those buttons to pull it down. You had to pull it up and pull it down and put it in place. But it was an aluminum section, so when you pull it down, the two sections come together like that. One day I was pulling the garage door down, and the section came down, my finger got caught right in between. Man, it was painful. I mean, man, I, I screamed to the top of my voice, and Paul I said, Kim, what happened? I said, I got my finger caught in the garage door. She said, yeah, so Paul I started running around. Let me find Dr. Stanley's uh, number. I said, Rachel, go get some ice. And Rachel was running around trying to get ice, and Paul was looking for Dr. Stanley's number, and they were just scurrying in the house, and I was standing there saying, my finger, my finger, my finger. Well, Petra, who was five years old, was sitting at the top of the steps, and she was just crying, just crying to the top of her voice. I mean, sobbing, deep sobs, crying. And in the middle of this, Rachel stops, she's 12, and says, Petra, what in the world is wrong with you? Dad's finger's hurting. I'm trying to get some ice. Mom is trying to get the telephone number for Dr. Stanley, and you're sitting up there in the steps just crying. What is wrong with you? She says, I feel daddy's pain. That, to me, is a dip definition of empathy. When you genuinely can get in contact with and feel the pain of someone else. If you're going to resolve conflicts, husbands, wives have to feel the pain of each other. Family members, you got to feel the pain within church relationships and certainly across racial lines, you have to somehow be able to tap into the pain of the experience of the person. And to the degree that you can do that, that will define the degree to which you will be able to establish, yea, even and maintain a genuinely felt uh, relationship. Sanford, Florida, a few years back, a young man by the name of Trayvon Martin caught national attention. He was murdered by George Zimmerman, who was white and Hispanic. And uh, Trayvon was 16 years old, and he'd just come from the store and bought a pop, and uh, he had no weapon or anything of this nature. And George Zimmerman was kind of like a watcher for the neighborhood, and he was carrying a weapon. So they got into a little argument and a tussle and George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin. And the African-American community was absolutely livid. You know, riots broke out. They were all upset. I got a call from one of the Promise Keepers guys there and says, Wally, uh, uh, I need you to come see the, the pastors here in the African-American community. They are just about to explode. This community is going up in flames. Will you come? I say, yes. Only if you will gather not just the African-American pastors, but the white pastors, Hispanic pastors, Native American, can you get all of the pastors together? So he got uh, Steve Strang from Charisma Media, and they got the pastors there. And there were, uh, oh, about 75 to 80 pastors that showed up for the whole community. And there I challenged them from the word of God and reconciliation, which was my forte. But then after challenging them, I said, you cannot allow Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton to come and speak 
for you or for this community, even to this community. You pastors have to speak for your community, but you can't speak for your community unless you earn the right to speak for your community. And the only way you can do that is that your churches have to demonstrate to the community at large that you know how to relate and have relationships that are meaningful across racial lines. So you got to start coming together. you got to meet monthly. you got to swap pulpits. you got to do whatever is necessary on a regular basis. So somebody's got to be in charge to make this happen. They accepted that challenge, and they got a young black pastor, and he was in charge, and they met together every month, and they had joint choirs together, and they, they did this, and, they, and every month they continued to do this. So nearly a year later, they had the trial of George Zimmerman, and he was found not guilty. And riots broke out all across America because it said, now another young black man has been murdered innocently and it should not have happened, and the person who did it has been set free. But riots broke out in cities across America, everywhere except Sanford, Florida. Nothing happened there. The CNN cameras were going around trying to get something going. There was no riots. Why? Because they had, all, had decided that they were going to accept the dynamic. Why did the black community res respond and break out like other places? Because the white church in Sanford, Florida, across the board, had felt the pain of the black community. They had expressed it. They talked together. They prayed together. They empathized together and, so when the, and said, we're going to accept the judgment, but we're not going to tear our community apart. They will come. Relationship that is genuine requires empathy that will make difference. Let me wrap up with this. Personal empathy is critical. Individually, if you're going to resolve the issue so that the headline that you saw will not uh, happen again in your community, you're going to have to find a way to establish relationships by using personal empathy that will make all the difference in the world, that will change the dynamic, that will change what's there. Um, My wife father, my wife's father, was born because his mother uh, was required to lay with the plantation owner in North Carolina. Remember how I started? I said, no guilt, just, thank you, no guilt, just understanding. And so he was ashamed of this. And as a result of what took place, my wife's father was ashamed of who he was and ashamed of what took place. My wife grew up, she, she didn't understand, she never had a relationship with her grandfather uh, because she didn't know who he was. And so she tried to get the name and uh, she was not successful in getting her father to respond. But after years of doing this, especially after my wife became a believer, uh, she, uh, her, her father just said, Ewing, Ewing, that was his name, Ewing. I saw Paulette tried to find it, nothing happened. 
I shared this story at a men's retreat in Wisconsin. And I had several sessions. At the end of the session in which I shared that story, uh, we took a break. And as I was walking up the stage, uh, a white brother was coming down. He had long blonde hair. And he said, Pastor, he was trying to get my attention. And as he was talking, uh, he was just mouthing it. And I couldn't hear him. And he wasn't talking. So he just stopped. And he started pointing at his name tag. He was pointing at his name tag. And his name tag said, Ewing. And he grabbed me and he said, brother, I'm so sorry about what happened to, 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 to your family, to your wife. And he says, he said, listen, I'm white. My name is Ewing. He says, will you and will you ask your wife, please forgive us for what took place. And man, I embraced him and, and, and we embraced him. And that, that's great. Went to, I took a break and I called my wife and I told my wife that story. And when I got to the point and to say his name was Ewing, she anticipated what was going to happen. And my wife just started sobbing. And she said to me when she settled down, I knew what he was going to say. She said, it felt like the pain that I have experienced all these years, not feeling the arms of a grandfather. It just sort of went away when you, when you told me his name was Ewing when he asked that. Man, that was personal empathy. It made all the difference in the world. Well, he told me that he was going to come visit me down at Rock Church. And so uh, that Sunday... At the end of my message, and I was talking about bitterness and overcoming bitterness, I told that story about Ewing, and, uh, and the folks heard it. And I said, you know, Paulette has never met Ray Ewing, this guy who did it, and, and, and Ray has never met Paulette until the day, and Ray is there. And Ray got up at the back of the church, and he started coming down the aisle, and Paulette got up, and she ran uh, to meet him, and they embraced, and, and everybody was crying and clapping and cheering. It was a powerful time. And Paulette said to me later, says, when Ray Ewing put his arms around me, I felt the arms of a grandfather whom I never even got to know or have any embrace with him. What took this? Huh? When I told the story, he felt the pain that I was expressing. And he wanted to make a difference, and he sought to make that difference. I'll wrap it up with, the, with this. Relationship between Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah, is necessary for the return of our Lord. Relationship across racial lines, black, white, brown, red, and yellow, is going to be necessary in order to eliminate the kind of headlines that we just saw. Uh, relationships between the communities of color and the police can happen if there's relationships between black and whites within the body of Christ uh, demonstrating that things can be different if we understand one another and embrace one another in genuine relationship, then things will change. I want to close in prayer. But can I ask this question? Is there anyone here today, especially folks of the lighter hue? <laughs> been kind of picking on you a little bit. But it hasn't been about guilt, hopefully understanding. But is there one of you here today, this wife, who has been wounded by an African-American man? 
based on maybe he broke into your house, maybe he did something to a family member, maybe he stole something, maybe he raped one of your cousins, something of this nature, and it was a black man that did it, and in some ways it's never been resolved. Is there anyone here who has had that kind of experience that hasn't been resolved? If so, can I be bold enough now, right before I pray to close, say, raise your hand. Is there anyone who's had that kind of experience? God bless you. Can you stand up, please? Is there anybody else? My brothers, this is what I want to say to you. I'm black. I don't want to take this moment to empathize with what you've experienced that has not yet been resolved. And I ask you, in the name of Jesus, as a surrogate for the person who did wrong that has been resolved, I'm asking your forgiveness that you might release and let that go in the name of Jesus. I take full responsibility as a black man and I say, it was wrong on behalf of the perpetrator. I ask your forgiveness. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I stand in the sacred and line of people, I pray that my two brothers, right now, this moment, will be healed and released whatever has happened that's been wrong and not resolved. Let them feel a sense of resolve right now as I take full responsibility. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. Father, we love you, we praise you, we honor, we glorify your holy and righteous name. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege that we have to serve you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray that in the sound of my voice, my brothers and sisters, the light of hue, and those here, even of the darker hue, will take serious that if we reach out to people, especially who are not like us racially, and seek to establish even one meaningful relationship collectively, we can literally change the community change this city, yeah, and even change this world with genuine relationships. I pray this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.